why would they go? So that's what I want to just talk about just for, just for a few minutes. Why would they go? What you've seen here is three different couples at three different places as far as getting ready to go. Those that are getting ready and getting prepared, those that are waiting to go as soon as travel gets started back up, and then those that are on the field and that have been there for 16, 17 months now. We, we're blessed by that this morning. Why? Oh, and they'll, they'll be in the back near the missions wall in the lobby if you want to talk with them uh, after the service. Why would they go? Is it because they like to travel? They like new exciting adventures? They like to eat foreign foods? No. Let's start with the Bible, right? Let's start there. Uh, Psalm 117, verse 1. What does that say? Let's get that up there, and let's, let's just go through a, a litany of verses real quickly. Number one, Psalm 171. Praise the Lord, all nations extol him, all peoples. Psalm 67, 1 through 3. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That, why? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So what is the basis for going to the nations? Just It's God's worth. It is his value, his intrinsic glory, right? He is worthy of all of it. He calls us to it, uh, whether one way or another, we are a part of it. Look at Psalm 65, verse 1 and 2. Praise is due to you, O God, and, and, you shall, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. It's due. He is worthy. It is due his name. Because of the value of who God is, it is due that he gets the worship that's due his name. That's what the word says. It's not he might be, he is. It is righteous for that to happen. It is why we were created. Isaiah 43, verse 7 says, To everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You were made for his glory. And when you, you realize that and you live that way, that is when you function in joy and abundance of life. No matter your circumstances do not control that, right? Your circumstances don't control your joy. It is the abundant life that comes through and from Christ. Isaiah 48, 9 through 11 is one of the most serious places we see God be about his glory. He's speaking to Israel after generations of, rebelling, of them rebelling against him. Here's what he says. He says, for my name's sake, here's why he's going to hold back. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. It is not about you, Israel. It is about me. Verse 10, but behold, I've refined you, but not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God's greatest passion is for his worship. It is for himself, for God. And we don't think about that a lot. God is for me, and he is. And the way that God is for you is by being first for him and for his glory. And because of how you were made, you are part of his bigger story and find your ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction in life when you make much of him. This is what missions is about. God does not break the first or second commandment either. He has no other, nothing is before him. His glory is preeminent, right? Uh, number three, verse three of uh, Exodus 20 says, you have, shall have no other gods before me, talking to Israel. Verse four, you shall make 
not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. No gods, nothing else are we to put above God. And he feels exactly the same way. His glory is first. And in his mind and in reality, there is nothing above him. He alone is worthy of our praise. And the Bible makes this point. We're not the sinner. So where do we come in? We spread that glory. Just like he, he told Adam and Eve in the very beginning when he said, uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth. And they were going to do that through having children. Biological evangelism, right? We are to do that through making disciples new creations. It's the same thing. We're filling the earth with God's glory. And global missions exist now because worship does not exist everywhere yet. Right? That, is, that is the thing. There is no going to the nations in the new heaven and the new earth. It's, it's not necessary. It's not going to be part of that. Right? But there are now places on the planet where people have not heard the name of Jesus. I know that's hard to believe, especially with the Internet. But it's true. And I'm not talking about got limited or poor theology. I'm talking about have not heard the name of Jesus, had access to the gospel at all. They don't know that he is the only way. They can look at mountains and know there's something bigger than them, and they declare the glory of God, yes. But there's not a specificity to the name of Jesus that says he has taken my place on the cross, and he has made me right with God. He has reconciled me and given me back. I'm back into the family. I've been among some of them, and in this dark, heartbreaking, and hopeless place. Worship is the goal of missions. Worship is. Not to be uh, an adventurous traveler, not to, to be a thought of, man, that was a really good Christian. They left. It, was, it is all about, and always has been, and always will be about worship and the nature and the value of God. There's no better picture than we see in Revelation 7, verse 9 through 12. After this, I looked, and behold, the great multitude that no one could number from every nation and tribe and people and languages. They were standing around the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hand, and one and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they all fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. All nations, every group, every people group is a different note on the keyboard of creation. And for the full symphony to ring to God's praises and his glory, all the notes have purposefully been included and they are due God's glory. And that is why we go to the nations. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. In Mark 16, 15, where he says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Like all of it. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And as everyday disciples, we too are called. We're called into this big story. 
in some capacity, invited by God to participate in reaching the unreached. You heard Corey say Romans 10, 14 and 15, how then will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him and in whom they've never heard? How are they going to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they going to preach unless they're sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Who are the unreached? Put a slide up that just says, here's the unreached. It's a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize their people group without outside assistance. What that means is there's no church there that can replicate. There's not enough disciples there that can carry it on without it dying out. There needs to be what Joshua Project says is at least, they're saying at least 2% of the population so that churches can be planted, disciples that can make disciples. That there's not this outside and come and this addition where we make a few, but there's not enough and it won't keep going unless we keep bringing in from outside. That's, that's what an unreached people group is. Depending on where you read right now, there are around 67 uh, unreached people groups. Some say over 7,000, depending on your source. 85% of those uh, are in difficult or limited access countries. Let's look at the next slide. I want you to see there's an, there's an urgent need. Out of all the missionaries that we send, and you'll remember some of this from when I went to Nepal, out of all the missionaries that we send, 95 to 98% go to areas that have been uh, named or categorized as reached. All right? There's at least that 2% that there's a, a replicative uh, church process going on. Disciples are, being, are making disciples in all of these areas, and we're sending 95 to 98% of all our missionaries to these places. If you're wondering, why don't we go um, to some of the places, what we've done and we've tried to be, uh, to, to be thought, thoughtful of and to be prayerful of is that we want to realize we've got limited resources, limited people, limited trips that we can do. And so it doesn't mean that these are not important actions that are being taken place in countries that are reached at all. We want to be very streamlined in how we address what's going on in the whole world. And so we're focused on unreached areas and church planting movements. So there's this proliferative property involved. And so we try to aim everything. Our new initiatives and new resources are all for this purpose. Next slide. Because that means there's that 2 to 5% of all missionaries, those are the only ones that are going to the unreached areas. The 1040 window is what we call it. This, this area uh, where, where there's very few Christians. The front lines, as we say sometimes. That little, gr- uh, that little red shaded box is the 1040 window. Northern Africa, Middle East, India, Nepal, China, places like that. Two to five percent of missionaries. And guess how much church spending goes toward that? One half of one percent. Oh, you're making me feel bad. I'm not trying to make you feel bad at all. I'm just, that's just, that's what we do. And that's why we're trying to be very intentional about changing that. Doesn't mean we want to stop anything. It's just anything that's new. Here's, here's where we're going. This is where the, this is need is urgent. God has a heart for the nations, all of them. <laughs> he loves all his children. Just like I have four kids. Which one do you like the best? Yes. <laughs> I love them all. They're made different, and I love them in different ways because of how God made them. That's how that works. He's called us to go. And here's my point today. If you, you, we're getting to the end, right? My point is that 
that missions isn't for super Christians. It's not. It's not for those that have just studied it and this is what you've wanted to do since you were five. It is for normal folks like you and like me in some form or fashion. We've we got to walk the path and ask the hard questions because Isaac is right. It's not an elective. <laughs> it's what we're called to do. It's what Jesus' disciples did. How are we going to be engaging? How are we a part of that? Not only individually, but as a church. Not only as a church locally, but as a church in northern Alabama. How, how do we work and have relationships that can shepherd those that are, so, that are far away and, and still care for one another? Because them going forward is the church here being extended. They're not going to do their own thing and live in a bubble relationally. We can't have that happen. We've got to find ways to love our family and love the, the hands and the feet of Jesus, as he said. And we've got to ask God the hard questions. Do I love my comfort too much? Do I love my safety, my security too much? We've had to ask these questions, my wife and I, in the last year and a half. They're hard things to wrestle, wrestle with, but God does not call us to do what we can do without him. He calls us to things that we can only do with him. If the Holy Spirit were to remove his presence from you, how different would your life be? Because if you can say, no different at all, not a Christian life. The Christian life demands the Holy Spirit's power. Jesus calls you to do things that you cannot do on your own. If you can, it is religion and you've set the bar to just where you can hit it. God gets no glory out of that. And from what we've read earlier, we know that he loves his glory. So how can you be a part of this? How can we lay down our lives and stay here? How can we lay our, our lives, down, lives down and go? Here are a few practical applications we want to talk through. I want to talk to middle schoolers. I want to talk to high schoolers. I want to talk to college age. I'm not getting all of you in the front row, but, you know, I just happened to catch, you caught my eye. Your mom and dad are there. They can get me later. I'm pretty fast. I've been running. I want you guys to know, there's things I didn't know. Young professionals. Future missionaries do not have to be evangelists only. You can do what you were called to do here, over there. You can have a business degree. You can manage a coffee shop. You can be a teacher, a civil engineer. You can have an art degree. I know somebody that has an art degree, and they're over there helping trafficked women come out of trafficking with art. It's part of the healing process the Holy Spirit uses. You do what you do here. You just do it over there. I did not know that. I thought only those with the gift of evangelism that were really good on their, their feet and got an A in debate could do this. And that's not true. Maybe you take the perspectives class the next time it's offered. We're in the middle of it right now. Out here, it'll be offered again starting in January. Just expose yourself. There's so many things that, that we don't know and where God is moving that he has a missionary heart for all peoples. Here are five ways specifically you can be involved. Number one, go. It may start with a short-term trip. I think most of you guys started a short-term trip. My heart, my wife, started, and the heart that we have for, for Nepal started on a short-term trip. We fell in love with people. Not stats, not theories, not good intentions. Souls that have faces that we have relationships with that do not know Jesus. That's 
That's where the, the transformation is in, in relationship through the Holy Spirit, speaking to our hearts. And so short-term trips, just to get exposed to it. Ask the Lord if he wants you to go overseas. You can't do that right now, but be praying about that, right? We're going to have another trip soon. Number two, you can pray. If you have the Summit Daily app or, or the Summit Daily uh, text that, that you've kind of uh, subscribed to, every morning at 530, you get an Old Testament passage, a New Testament passage, you get uh, a song that we're going to sing the next Sunday, and you get a prayer directive. It either bounces off the sermon or, or looks forward. On Thursdays, it's, a, it's, a unreached, it's an unreached people group that taps into the Joshua Project app. And so I say, that, let's just be praying. Let's pray. Uh, pick a, a people group that we can pray for as a, in, in your missional community group. Pick one that you can pray for as a family. Just get one of your kids to open up the app, and there you go, right there. Let's, let's pray. This matters. Praying matters. You can send. Make it possible for other people to go. Blake and Rachel are going to go to be able to be trained. They have to raise their own money and own support to be, support to be trained. So we need to give generously to them and, and folks that are in similar circumstances. Give crazy, generous, radical generosity. God did not give you a lot of money so that you could just hold on to it. We're not to be cul-de-sacs. We're to be conduits of what he's given us. And so let's be generous. Next, we can be mobilizers. We can encourage others to go, to support. This is what we want to dedicate our lives to. How can we make it possible for you to go? Number one, find out if it's, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. Okay, so now that you know it's a thing, how can we make this happen? What's on your heart? Let's have these conversations. Let's go have that over coffee or, or breakfast or lunch. Let's talk about it. Let's take perspectives. Did you know that was a class? You didn't know that was a class? That's a class. Let, let's get exposed to that, right? Let's find out, and we can mobilize one another. You can learn by reading. I give you tons of books and, and, and conversations and movies, and there's all kinds of ways we can educate ourselves. And finally, engage. The nations are not just there. They are here as well. They are in businesses, they are uh, at places you go in for public, they are at schools, they are at your, your office. You can go to the same restaurant over and over and over and, and see who's there and make friendships with them with an end to share the gospel. Gas stations, don't just use your credit card, but go inside and pay and get to meet people. These are ways that we can engage with the nations here and now. We don't have to wait. It's not just for those who get sent. We're all a part of that, and that's how we do it. Now, we want to spend some time praying.